0: This is episode 26 of Untangled Faith. First of all, I have a cold, and that is why I sound like this. But I am still excited about today's episode where I get to talk with veteran religion journalist Bob Smutiana, where he shares what it's like to be a religion journalist, how he decides what to report on, learning the insider baseball lingo of faith groups, and what he really thought about the response heard around the world from Ramsey Solutions to his request for comment on his January 2021 article.
1: This is the best part about being a religion reporter is that there is no part of life which you can't write about.
0: Some of the stories that you have written or broken Shine a light in dark areas? Why is it okay for you to talk about that? Why is that not gossip?
1: cases of uh, sexual abuse, especially, you try and be careful. You don't want to re-traumatize them either. So right. that's something we've learned is sort of, you try and get as much that's documented so you're not having the person retell their story over and over again.
0: Did you get any response from local pastors or leaders? No, I've talked to a few. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Hi there. Before you listen to my conversation with Bob, I want to share a few things with you that you may not know. First of all, Bob has broken some big stories during his career, including the reporting he did on Ramsey solutions earlier this year. One of the reasons a friend of mine trusted him with her story was because of his socks. Yep. You heard correctly. His socks. <laughs> There's something about Bob that makes people trust him with their stories And that's probably why Russell Moore suggested to Beth Moore that Bob was the guy to talk to when she made her decision to talk about leaving the SBC. If you take a look at Bob's Twitter timeline, you'll see evidence of a person who is curious about many things, but he's especially passionate about his favorite sports teams. And he's a huge champion of the work faith organizations have rallied together to accomplish during times of crisis. If you don't know him already, you will by the end of this episode. Here's Bob Smutana. I recorded this interview with Bob while he was in Nashville this fall. You'll hear some sirens and random city sounds and some desktop notifications in this recording, but you will understand since you're used to hearing my dogs walk and cough in the background. So, welcome back to Nashville. Thanks. Uh, the Brain Trust has 30 questions for you, and there's no way. There's
1: a lot of questions. I don't know if I can answer all of them. I will try.
0: You can refuse to answer some too. So the first thing I do want to ask you, I would imagine as a religion journalist, Bob, people have an interesting idea of what you do. So like, what would be some misconceptions of your job and what is your job? What do you do?
1: Okay. So our job is to report about Mm -hmm. how religion shapes the lives of people and from and really shapes the world around us from how people are born and how they're conceived to how they die. So for everything from what you had for breakfast to what you think of the nation state of Israel is impacted by religion. So we cover all that.
0: You say religion is always in the room.
1: Friend Liz Kanicki says that.
0: Okay, Liz Kanicki. I need to give her Liz credit Knicky, for that. Yeah,
1: from, she used to be at CBS. She's great. That's her thing. But it's always there. There's no part of this is the best part by being a religion reporter is that there is no part of life which you can't write about.
0: You're currently working with RNS, Religion News mm-hmm. Service. Now, I know the answer to this, but I want you to answer it. Do they okay. just cover evangelical Christian
1: religion? No, we cover everything. So we were started 80 years ago or just over 80 years ago. And they were started at a time when most religion coverage was anti-Semitic or anti-Catholic. And it was meant to, as a nonprofit news service, to cover all religions well. So to make important things interesting is the way the founding editor described it.
0: Bob explains that the aim for RNS in their coverage is to get religion right.
1: Cover everyone. We are not, we are non-sectarian. The way I describe it is that we're a neighbor of religious people. We're not your ally. We're not your enemy, but we're your neighbor. And we think that religious institutions and the lives of people, the religious lives of people are really important and they should be covered well.
0: Your reporting isn't meant to promote a particular religion, even though everybody who works as a religion reporter probably has some sort of religious bent.
1: So they have religious interest. Not all of them have religious bent, but we, yeah, okay. not everyone is a religious believer, but yeah, we are interested in it. We're interested in religion. We're not interested in like promoting a certain kind of religion.
0: Maybe this is the first time that you've thought about the difference between a religion reporter and a religious reporter. Religion writers will cover the topic of religion. A religious writer is a writer who happens to be
1: religious. So that's the difference between a religion writer and a religious writer. So a religious writer, news organizations say like Christianity Today or Charisma or the National Catholic Reporter has a view of how their religion should be practiced and that's important so they want to promote a certain kind of they won't report on it but they also have a view about how what the right way to be Catholic or or Muslim or Protestant or Jewish should be What what and we want to report about the way those religions are practiced what they are not what they're supposed to be. Now, we do look at what those religions say they represent, and then we look at their actions and see if the two add up. Mm, right. There's a lot of that kind of thing. I'm not we're not interested in promoting which view the Trinity or the atonement or what it means to be kosher or whatever. else.
0: Your writing isn't commentary. I haven't seen you maybe on your personal website. You'll talk about yourself and your own life a little bit. I've seen a few things like that where you've written for your Denomination.
1: I'm not really that interesting. So why would I want to write about things I believe since I already know about them? Yeah. I'm much more interested in what other people believe because I don't know about what they believe.
0: I would think a religion reporter, I think I maybe heard you describe it this way as an anthropologist.
1: Yeah, it's a little bit anthropologist, a little sociologist, but we're yeah, we're just interested in how things function and the lives of people. And then some big ideas. It depends. There are religion reporters who look at big ideas. There are people who focus on institution. There are people who focus on theology. There are people who focus on research. I'm really into the kind of like how it works side of it and not so much the big picture of theology. Though theology is really interesting. The kind of sociological side is most interesting to me.
0: So some of the stories that you have written or broken... Shine a light in dark areas that some people aren't real excited about being revealed. Why is it okay for you to talk about that? Why is that not gossip? I've seen some people refer to it as yellow journalism. Defend yourself.
1: Sure. We report on what religion is and how it functions. So if religion, those people do good things, they, or bad things or whatever, you have to report about all of it. There are times when journalism in the past, especially, has been motivated by a certain... In the early days of r we were started because there was an anti-Catholic, anti-Jewish sentiment driving journalism. Nobody likes to report about bad things. In fact, I didn't do it early on in my career.
0: One of Bob's former editors pushed him into doing watchdog journalism. Bob wasn't initially interested. He wanted to do explanatory
1: articles. Mm-hmm. Which is more interesting. But I ended up doing basically explanatory articles watchdog journalism and finding out what people do people what do the promises that people make add up to the their actions so you yeah. see, you know I end up starting reading a lot of tax forms and I've had to, I had some friends of mine help me kind of learn that but you know if a group says they give away all their money to certain costs and you can and they're a nonprofit charity you can look up their non-profit charities financial disclosures and see if they actually did that. Sometimes you say, oh, that's great. They did. And sometimes you say, wait, they didn't really do what they said they did. We find out things, then we go and verify them and confirm them. And we ask people to explain them because the intricacies of uh, any nonprofit organization aren't always clear to the outsiders. Why did, why did they do certain things? Why is it classified a certain way?
0: And there is a lot of insider language, I would say, in the religion world. And if you are covering I think I heard you on a podcast talking about covering the SBC convention annual meeting and they were asking you some questions and you were kind of giving a explainer to them about what these different terms mean. And it just made me think about the value of religion journalists because yeah. you can probably tell a difference when you see reporting done by somebody who understands yeah. what's happening and somebody who doesn't. Every organization has its own language. Bob refers to this as insider baseball. It's the words and phrases and titles used by insiders that outsiders wouldn't automatically understand.
1: There's a lot of insider baseball. So imagine the way I like to look at it is this is like covering all the major sports. So like covering the NBA, college basketball, college football, professional baseball, minor league baseball, professional hockey and covering lacrosse right? <laughs> so You cover everything from the NFL to lacrosse. And you have to know everyone has their own set of languages, yeah. but you would never, you would never send someone to a baseball game and they didn't understand what the infield fly rule, what's catcher's interference, all these kind of like minutia you would understand. So you try when you go there make sure you understand the way people identify themselves and what are the terms they use and then try and make them clear to the public Uh, i was just talking with somebody last night about the churches of christ who have very clear terms so you don't call a church of christ preacher a pastor yeah call a minister because they're a minister the pastors are the elders of the church but people call their pastor brother or elder sometimes they call them doctor and they're not really a doctor yeah they don't have a phd you have to find those right terms and then try and try not to make the uh, worst kind of mistakes because it signals to the audience and to the that group and to the audience that you understand what's going on here.
0: I think we've all had that experience. Oh, they did not know. <laughs>
1: yeah. You have to ask it. When you say this, what do you mean? So there's great there's a great correction in the Washington Post when there was a big meeting, a uh, political meeting or uh, or big rally of Pentecostals at the in the Capitol on the mall. And there's, the reporter says this is very peaceful. And there was all the singing and praying. And then it got strangely violent as the the preacher called for God to kill all the members of Congress. And then there's a correction. The correction is basically that the speaker had asked God to slay all the members of Congress, meaning he wanted to slay them in the spirit so that they'd be overcome with God's spirit, and do the right thing. So that's the kind of thing that you can when you hear something like that, what you do is if you've been a religion reporter for a while, you go, what did you mean when you said that? You understand
0: it, but you also want to be able to and be an interpreter for somebody yeah. that's reading that might not be an insider.
1: To make sure you understood what they were saying and communicate that well is really important.
0: Let's talk about verifying sources. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people come to you and they have a story that they really want you to tell. How do you verify? How do you vet that? What's your process for that?
1: So there's a whole lot of ways. You have to really start by thinking, okay, is this true? Right? That's what you have to figure out. Is this true? So you look for documents. If someone gave a speech, you look for the recording. So there was some controversial remarks, for example, this weekend made by a prominent speaker at a big Christian event.
0: This event that Bob is referring to was a meeting of the American Association of Christian Counselors and some remarks from author and speaker Josh McDowell.
1: Okay, well, someone says that happened on Twitter doesn't mean it happened. We found that the recording of the event was gone. Okay, well, that's interesting. Maybe there's some people didn't want us to hear. And then we found somebody who had a recording. Okay, and can we get a copy of the recording? And then can we listen to the whole thing so we make sure that we're quoting it and not just getting a statement which doesn't have all the parameters to it. So there's a lot of legwork in just do I have an, you know, documents and recordings and emails, evidence to say that this actually happened. And then you talk to people, you get people on the record. So if someone says this happened, okay, are you willing to go on the record and say this?
0: Bob mentioned that in reporting on allegations that include lawsuits, it is especially easy to find on the record comments because the public filings
1: often include these. You always go back to the other people involved and say, did you say these things? Is this how this happened? What happened here? Because one of the things that makes us human is that we we look at... The world around us, and we make up a a narrative, we come up with a narrative that explains what happened, right? We see the world, we interpret the world, the events around us, into a narrative. That's what makes us human. And everyone has their own narrative about what happened and what's going on. They may not have seen the whole thing, and their interpretation of the events may not be 100% accurate. No one's is 100% accurate because... But lots of the facts are verifiable. So you right. have to go back and say, do I have the narrative right? And one, do I have the facts right? And to two, the, do these facts mean what people think they mean? So if you look, there's some interesting data, like, say, just out about oh, evangelicals. So during the Trump-era Pew Research found that white evangelicals, some people left, but more people joined. It became white evangelicals during a time frame. But if you look at white, so white, the term white evangelical has a political meaning. Yeah. And it's verifiable and you can check how people vote and you can look at some of the positions that white evangelicals are likely to help. White evangelicals also have a distinctive religious views, distinctly religious behaviors that you can track in polling too. So it is the the kind of interpretation of that data is, you could interpret to say that uh, white evangelical is just a political term. Or is white evangelical both a political term and a distinctive religious category and how did we get to a point where they a distinctive religious category maps with a distinctive set of political views and what does that have to do with geography and what does it have to do with the big sort and what does it have to do with the strategies used to build churches and what does it have to do with is there things in the kind of reading of scripture that they have that are different than other folks because uh, you see that white and black christians for example interpret the scripture very differently yeah So so all those things. So you can go and see something. You say, what does this all mean? So it's kind of like two questions. So what? Who cares, right? So what? So you see someone did X, Y, Z. What does that mean? And then why should I care about that?
0: Yeah. So if someone were to come to you and say, I really feel like this is worthy of coverage, you would have to figure out. It could be verifiable, Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't always run that story. What's the grid that you would run that
1: through? There's a couple of things. There's one that we have a limited amount of space and time and energy. Like there's only one of me, for example, and I only have 24 hours a day. And there's a mix of how much, what's the public good here? Why is, or what people should know about this? Why does it matter to them?
0: Yeah.
1: And is it true? So this is true as first. And is it, do we have the time and energy and resources to make, to verify that it's true and then is that investment of time and energy and resources worth it will it mean enough to enough people yeah is that a better use of time and energy and resources than a different story Uh, and is it in our wheelhouse i mean our wheelhouse even though religion covers everything the story that we cover at rns has to have a religion at a core so there are stories which i know about which are Sometimes there are stories of abuse that are terrible. They're not about a religious institution at their core. They yeah. might be about a person who has ties to a religion institution, but it's not a religious figure themselves. Yeah. So then you say, is that, so at RNS, we'd say, is this a story and is it our story to tell? Okay. Can we do this? Which is hard. Sometimes you look at a story and say, there's a really important story there, but that's not what we do. And we, we're a nonprofit news organization. We have told our donors and the people who support us, we're going to do these certain kinds of things. We have editorial independence, but the area of focus will be on religion and stories about how religion impacts the world. Sometimes a story about a person who's religious is the religion part is not an essential part of the story.
0: And I guess if something is super hyper local, it might yeah. not, even yes. though it very much is true and it's very much impacting mm like that person, it may not be for yeah. RNS to cover.
1: You know, so sometimes a, a story that can be very local that we will cover because it, it relates to other trends out there. Yeah. Uh, so there's been a whole group of kind of local governance struggles over control of large churches that we have covered because they are reflective of this bigger trend.
0: One of the things you do is you have reported on abusive organizations And also, like, spiritually abusive and also organizations that have physically, emotionally, and sexually Mm. um, abused, like leaders have. How have you learned how to handle those stories in a way that is trauma-informed? My friend who asked that question, she reads your reporting as if it is the way you refer to Mm. the parties involved. Has that been something you've grown into?
1: I think so. So I didn't do it early on. though. I have always covered, like, religious groups that sometimes have harmful practices. So one of the first major national magazine stories I did was about this group in my hometown called the body where it's a very little sect, religious sect, like just a few families, but several children, they didn't believe in, they believe in faith healing and didn't believe in going to the doctor and several, and they believed in prophecy and several children in the group died. It's a very sad story. And so part of that story was like, what happens? So this, if you think of the Bible stories of Abraham and Isaac, right? There's, that's a pretty terrible story, right? Abraham goes up, he's gonna sacrifice his kid. And then he doesn't because he's at the last minute there's a rescue. They find a ram instead. This story was a story on one level was a theological story about what happens when Isaac is killed, right? And then there was also the story of these folks. They're just, they're people. And it actually helped me. One thing that helped me is that I didn't know the people in the group, but one of the people in the group had been a neighbor of mine growing up. So then I was like, wow, this is my, how is this person? And I grew up with his brother, he and his brother. So they're in our neighborhood. There are kids in our neighborhood. How does a kid in our neighborhood end up in this kind of sect where there have been dangerous and harmful practices? I think that really has stuck with me, that folks in these groups are there for a number of reasons, and they're not intending to be harmful, and they're just regular people. It's easy to think, oh, that person is an awful person, and what kind of person joins a group like that? We've had one experience where there was a case of abuse at a major church. The survivor, so we have learned the word survivor. That's been a new word for us. Okay. The person who was abused, the survivor, did not, they felt the church had done a good job. They did not want to tell the police. They wanted, and they eventually did tell the police. And by the time they tell the police, the the, uh, the statute of limitations had run out. They were happy with the church. Now, in that church, there was a feud between the pastor and another church member. This other church member had got it in his head that the reason, and he was excommunicated from the church for feuding with the pastor and other mm-hmm. His understanding of what happened was that he was thrown out of church because he was raising too many questions and church leaders were afraid that he would discover about this abuse and blow the lid off it. And he'd had a whole chart of how this the timeline worked. And what became very clear was that, and, and he filed a lawsuit over the church making these claims. We were going to write, it was a lawsuit. We talked to the survivor. She was very clear that she did not want her story told Mm -hmm. that someone else, her concern was that someone else was using her story to promote his agenda. It was a big church. The person involved had some public, had links to a number of high-profile public figures. So there was public interest in it, and it was a public disclosure. There was no way to not tell Mm. that survivor's story. Right. Right. And we sat with her and talked with her for a while, and we came to the conclusion, like, look, this make this doesn't make sense. If that person is not consenting and the story is harmful to them, we probably aren't going to tell that story.
0: This turned out to be a situation where an individual appeared to be using a survivor's experience for their own benefit.
1: That took a while. So, And often, though, you, survivors just don't want to say what happened.
0: If there is an arrest... Or criminal charges, sometimes they'll tell the story even though the reporter understands it's very difficult for the survivor. In this case, the way the story is reported is very carefully handled to avoid adding unnecessary trauma.
1: In cases of uh, sexual abuse especially, you try and be careful. You don't want to re-traumatize them either. So right. that's something we've learned is sort of you try and get as much that's documented so you're not having the person retell their story over and over again because it, it opens up old wounds and it's difficult and You also try and be honest at the beginning of, I'm not, I can't do, these are things I cannot promise you.
0: Yeah.
1: And if you promise people things you can't deliver, then you, then it's harmful and stressful. You try and never tell anyone a deadline because the deadlines change. Yeah. Uh, And you tell people like, when can we run this? We can run it. You you be as as transparent as you can. You are dealing with people's lives and when things to happen. It's going to affect them. And you know that when you write about a major religious institution, it affects the lives of lots and lots of people. Yes, that's a great point. You are going to have, it's going to have consequences. You can't.
0: Let's talk about that because if somebody is thinking about going on the record, I do like what you said there. It seems like you would never pressure somebody if you felt like they weren't ready. But how, if somebody thinks they're ready, how do you make sure they really are? And how do you help manage those expectations? of what the process would be like and the Yeah,
1: usually early on, you have some off the record conversations where you just have a conversation. You can ask me, the person can ask me questions or a reporter questions. We have a kind of initial talk about what the process is like. And then you ask, you you want to go on the record. You ask, you try and make sure you ask a few times so they know. You also look at like, is this a person who knows what they're getting into? Right? If this is a person who's been in a high-profile position, has dealt with the public lots of times and knows what they're doing, you, you feel like has, has informed you, you're you take that a little differently than someone who doesn't know anything. It's just a regular person who's never been a leader. But then you just say like you at you say it's just once they say they're on the record it's on the record. And once the recorder starts rolling it's on the record. Sometimes people will say saying the interview you go back to and say what did you mean when you said this. Yeah. Again if they're a professional you do that too, but you know, a professional knows exactly what they're doing. Sometimes a person who doesn't talk to the media for a living does not express themselves in the most clear way. And so yeah. you go back and say, or oh, you said this, what does that mean? And you do that to a, a regular person, but you can tell like, now someone like admits a crime in the middle of the thing, that's different. Right. Well, we I would say if I hear this and I say, okay, this is what you said. What? Make sure I got this right. This is what you meant. So right. does, you go back and do a lot of that kind of back and forth to make sure, is that right? You said this, but it's hard. I mean, they, the person has to say, I'm ready. And- know that we try and tell them this might mean something. It's often going on record about difficult situations means the people around you are not going to be super happy. Yeah. They're going yeah. To...
0: I remember having that initial conversation with you. I, I went and drove and I parked in this little parking lot over at an HOA. They have this, not even my neighborhood. <laughs> I decided to leave the house. And I remember like, I, was that a good sign to you that I was nervous about it? Did, would that? Did that tell you I understood the stakes involved in speaking up?
1: I don't know. I just know that was normal. I can't expect that people are going to be nervous or they don't know what to say. They're nervous about getting everything right. We try and set people at ease to say that we're not, this is not a got you. you want to make sure we're reflecting you at your best. Because sometimes people misspeak, right? They say the wrong right, word. Right. They get nervous because you are like, I'm. At, we're asking you to tell us about the most intimate, personal things about your spiritual life and your experience with other people. That's pretty deep asked. Yeah. So of course you're going to be nervous. And of course you're going to not know, be worried about what this means. Sometimes people come to reporters when they're really angry and the anger fuels them. It's, you still try and tell them, wait. But sometimes they have, they have a commitment to say, this is going to, something really terrible has happened. And we need to let people know. And sometimes people come because they are very sad or disappointed. They want, they know it's important to say it's a less driven by that kind of driving anger and more informed or longer term thought through because they know what's going to cost them. You know, sometimes people are ready. You, you're going to burn bridges either way. Some people have the torch in hand or are ready to burn it right away.
0: It took me seven months before I decided to even have a conversation with Bob. I put you off.
1: She <laughs> did. I'm re- I remember I asked several times like, oh, what's going on? So I tell people that the Dave Ramsey story, that Dave Ramsey story is 10 years in the making. Yeah. Of at least 10 years because maybe 12. Cause I talked to Dave first during the first time I talked to Dave Ramsey was and the only time I talked to him in person was during the economic downturn. So 2008 okay. ish, 2009. The time I talked to him was at a big Thanksgiving event. He talked to a Thanksgiving event. Okay. If, you, if you do these things, you'll be able to be generous. And I walked down and chatted with him up front. It was just not going to be, he did not want to do an interview with Tennessee.
0: Yeah. I understand that there was a little bit of history there. I know you followed some of the reporting that happened about Bethlehem Baptist. And I know Mm -hmm. that some of the people that had participated in that felt a little bit disappointed in how it was reported. I know it is so very tricky for people to Mm -hmm. figure out like when the author, the reporter figuring out what the theme of the article is going to be, because you get to include every single thing. There has to be sort of a theme. So I just wondered if you would speak to like, How you would work with people that would are interested in telling a story, how you would communicate, how it would be handled in a way that still upholds your journalistic integrity and respects people that have been through a traumatic situation.
1: Yeah. So I think a couple things are true. So the one truth, one thing is really true. A reporter is going to get almost everything right.
0: Bob mentioned that even the best reporters don't have access to that last 5% of the story. Only someone deep on the inside knows that final 5%. The
1: last 5% of every single detail, you're never going to get that right. And you have in any story, as you come in as an outsider, you will see that there are competing stories about what happened and often conflicting stories. And often those stories have different parts of the truth to them. You try and make sure you're clear at the beginning to say, okay, thank you for bringing my attention or interest in this. We're going to go report on it and see what we find and we will follow the the facts wherever they lead us. That is not always, doesn't lead always people to a an outcome they like. And so yeah. that's, why, that's why you don't report on your friends. Yeah, Because if you report on your friends, they aren't going to like what happens because you can't. You can't be, you can't be unbiased plus also reporting clearly about people, you know, means that you're gonna report negative things about them. So I think that is, it's kind of an aside. But the, the point is, you just really are like, I'm gonna go report on people, they may say things that are difficult, and they may say different things about you, then they may see the world differently than you. And then there are in every in every situation, there are the external pressures on a religious organization, where are they situated? What are the demographics around them? What are the pressures on them politically and socially? Because a religious organization is not just a spiritual community. It is a spiritual and human community. So there are yeah. all kinds of external. A
0: spiritual pressure. and human community? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. There are all kinds of external pressures. And then there are all kinds of internal pressures and internal relationships. And those people are trying to manage those in the the best they can, and they are human, and human beings make mistakes or they do the best that they can in difficult situations. So, I was on the board, I've been on a board of nonprofits before where you've had to make decisions that were less than ideal, and they were the best decisions that you could make in that situation. And sometimes, after you just go, I could have done XYZ yeah. better, right? You go, you do some mortem and say, Oh this outcome was not the outcome we wanted are there things we could have done better are there things we do in the future to make that different and it's not easy to be the leader of an organization but you can see where people make mistakes or you can see that there's conflicts these conflicts really matter to people too they are very human conflicts driven by religious Ideas, which are very powerful. So, when you think that you are having a conflict, the conflict is not just you and the other person having a different idea. It's you and you standing up for what the right part, what's right in God's eyes. And that person standing for what's right in God's eyes. And both of you feel you are doing God's work. The class there is much deeper and much more intense than a regular class over ideas.
0: I asked Bob how he handled power differentials in his reporting. So if you are reporting on something like that, you know, coming into it, especially if it's like a bigger faith org, one part already has, one side has more power already. Do you yeah. think about that in how much space you give them or how much you boost a certain voice? I'm curious about that.
1: We try and make sure that if there are several different sides, that all their voices are heard. Sure. And if there's enough space given to get out the facts.
0: I found Bob's response really interesting. He mentions that the point is to make sure that all the voices are heard and enough space is given for all the facts. When it comes to the reporting of Bethlehem Baptist Church and Seminary and the allegations of spiritual abuse, I do know that some of the voices felt left out or unsafe in being a part of the Christianity Today article. As I've been considering the situation I've been wondering if part of the frustration on the part of those that allege the spiritual abuse is that the one side, the Bethlehem Baptist side, was very familiar with dealing with public relations and media, and the other side didn't have that advantage.
1: Usually what ends up happening in a conflict is you don't get both sides to talk to you. Yeah. So It becomes more heavy-handed, more one-sided. I don't know if you think about that. I do think you you make sure that you are... Accurately reflecting the story, and that make yeah. sure if you've got one side you're interrogating their their claims very carefully. And say, Does other folks say this? You know, how do you respond to that? How, how do you understand that? You, what you try and do too is make sure your framing the story is right. That's the hardest part. How do you frame the story? Because every story can be framed and told a different way,
0: right? Where well, you have to decide, different. I think this yeah. is what the main issue is. Yeah.
1: So there are your personal dynamics, there are social dynamics at play. What is the core of this story? And one of the big stories in American religion right now is can can religious beliefs that once drew people together sustain. So can that internal relationship and strength withstand the external pressures tearing them apart? Because we have this huge change happening all at the same time. So this is sometimes people think that what's going on in their religious institution is a spiritual problem and has a mm-hmm. spiritual answer they don't necessarily see the bigger picture i had someone explain it to me this way recently like the religious leader and sometimes religious community sees itself as hamlet they're in the center of the play everything going around them is about them and they might just be the the jester right they yeah. may be rosencrantz and Gilderstein. they are maybe minor players in this great drama it's a, Around them, and yeah. all things in the great drama are affecting them. As a the reporter, you sometimes look for the bigger picture. What are you know? What are all the things going on here that are affecting them? And then you we try and get it to say, here's why this conflict is happening in part because of the internal stuff, but in part because all kinds of pressures on the outside are yeah. So pl-
0: kind of place it in context, yeah,
1: right? place placing in context, uh, having been a, a, again on the board of a nonprofit that had public conflict. Public conflict in an organization that you really care about is very painful. for yeah. and actually, having gone through that as being a former board member of a group that went through that was actually very, very educational. That oh, this is what it feels like when you are in someone's community and you are reporting on the mess. And so then you let things, then you have a different view of what. It was I'm laughing, out. but I I would call that empathy. <laughs> you have more empathy, but you also have like more. There are the facts, and then there are what do the facts mean. Yeah, and that is hard when you're in the outside.
0: Nuance
1: it's hard to do, it, and sometimes you think that you didn't get the facts right, and you what you do then is communicate. So this is what, what happens when you report when people when you get the facts wrong, the group tells you, and you say, "Okay, we got this wrong. We fix it." Sometimes we say, "No, we didn't get it wrong." Yeah. Sometimes there's a difference of interpreting interpreting the same pieces of data, but it is hard when you're on the inside. You go given most people. Make decisions. They try and make the best decision they can given the circumstances they have. Those decisions don't always choose to be the right one. And then the internal conflict of a congregation is hard because there are relationships and friendships. And it makes this makes what makes being a religious leader right now really important. Is like how do you safeguard the health of the institution? How do you make sure you have deal with conflict and uh, challenges early on before they get out of control? before the damage is done. And then how do you make decisions? Because religious communities are like families often. Yeah. When is the right time to stay and when is the right time to go? And there are some management models that are more driven by, good for you, you should leave now. And But leaving a religious institution is difficult.
0: It's very difficult. It's, yeah, when your faith is involved in something like yeah. that, it change, it like the, the, the heaviness of it, the yeah. ramifications
1: are... Yeah. And then what kind of choices do people, if people separate from their organization, what kind of choices do they have in the matter? And there's a difference between people who leave because they no longer believe. So I had a friend who once told me this. You should leave a job when you no longer believe the lies they tell you. It was a little bit of a joke. Every group tells a story about itself.
0: And that story is going to be imperfect.
1: You tell yourself a story. And sometimes you say... That story is no longer working. I can no longer be part of that story. And you leave. There's a difference between them and a person who begins to question whether all the things the organization believes in the organization believes they're doing some things that are unhelpful and then is separated for them when they ask questions. And they never get to make the choice of they don't own the departure. But yeah. every departure comes with a cost. And if for religious groups, especially churches, when people leave a community, they Sometimes never find another one because the cost of finding is too high. It's like getting divorced because the depth of relationship takes a long time to build back up. There's a lot of social capital that's lost. Yeah. It's not just I don't believe X, Y, Z. And so I should just go find another one. It's not like buying a new car. It's like uh, finding a new family. And that's very difficult.
0: Yeah. Do I want to do invest all that's involved in
1: this? Yeah, and then some people do, and sometimes, and when we had more homogeneous denominations that were more culturally the same. Mm-hmm. This is my thesis. Denominations. If you go to a denominational church right now, if you go to a Baptist church or a Methodist church uh, in America, because people switch so much, the name on the sign does not tell you, always tell you what's going to happen inside. That's they, true. They don't, they don't sing the same songs. They don't read the same scriptures. They don't read the same groups. They don't have the same theology. They don't have all those things in common, so you can't go from one to another one and be at home, right? right. In a way they when they were more culturally and demographically homogenous, you would go from one Methodist church to another, or one Catholic church or one Presbyterian church, and you're getting the same thing. So you could plug in. Now yeah. there's in the Protestant world, especially they're all different.
0: I think that's happening a lot in the restoration movement churches. They have traditionally been this, like where the Bible speaks, we speak and where the Bible doesn't, we don't. And for many years, everybody agreed on what the Bible was speaking on and what they didn't. And now I think they're a little bit behind the curve, some of these places and not everybody sitting here actually believes that it's speaking the same thing there. This was really fascinating to me and rang especially true. Bob mentioned that when you report on a church It's important to note that not everyone in that church agrees with what the minister is saying. So I want to circle back to the getting both sides things. So one of the questions I'm going to ask you about your article from January 15th, 2021, Ah. you reported on Ramsey and I I went on the record for that one and you reached out for comment to Ramsey solutions. And in the response for comment heard around the world, yes, you got a reply. I want to. What did you think when you oh. got that? What? Tell me your thoughts on that.
1: Couple well, things. We end up publishing it, so we asked for comment and we published what people say. And we did go back and say, "Is this the only?" Because there were substantive questions we'd asked that were not addressed in their public comment. That they yeah. first of all, a couple things. This is this is a multi-million dollar organization right. that in the media it works in the media space, so their response was their official response from their public relations department it was a public comment so we published it so the second was we went back and said there are some other questions that we had is this what you want to say because we'll report that you do not answer the substantive questions they came back and said "Your, your article's wrong on these points and this is what we say It did reflect a lot of what we reported about the culture of the organization. When you report on someone, you want them to be the best version of themselves. They hold up a mirror, they'll see themselves. Now, sometimes that is good or bad or whatever, but at least it's authentic. Right. There's a a question of whether does that response authentically represent what that company is. So, I would say they might not say that it did. I mean, it might reflect some of the culture and some of the leadership, but at its core, that's not, I don't think, the face the company wants to send to the the world around that.
0: In relaying this account, Bob shared that he had seen very professional work done by the PR team at Ramsey previously. And that's one of the reasons that this response surprised him so much.
1: I don't know the, the mechanism that the folks who are professional public relations people don't always get to say what they release. Now I will say that ever since I had that moment The public relations people at that company, at Ramsey, have been very professional. And everyone that I spoke to was very, when I went to visit there, I talked to some people. I did not get very many angry phone calls. For me as a religion reporter, it's always good when people have your phone number, right? So a lot of people have my phone number and email. That's good for me. And I got some really, people were able to say, this is why I really care about this organization. I got a few funny things. Somebody signed me up for a Mormon dating service. That was funny. I've signed up for all kinds of newsletters. We live in an interesting world because a lot of us are public about where we live in our social media. I grew up in the era of the phone book. Yeah,
0: everybody could look your name phone, and address and my phone name, number up. and
1: address. phone number were delivered onto everyone in our area code. So that doesn't bother me so much, I think. But of course, the power of the internet, I, but I'm not in a vulnerable position. No one at that organization was threatening or anyway. I got one angry phone call.
0: Did you get any response from local pastors or leaders? I'm not asking who.
1: No, I've talked to a few. One was really angry. The others were I think that that people, like any organization, people they take the best of what a group offers and they spit out what they don't and they don't yeah. use. It. People, and people are interesting and complicated. Uh-huh.
0: Well, and in your article, I believe you said you did hear from people that had some good things to say oh, yeah. about the organization. I'm not surprised at all. There are some, and that they were yes. kind and, and gracious because yeah. there are a lot of really wonderful people that yeah, work no, there. Yeah. That's the complicated thing about there. There is no place that is 100% evil or 100%
1: good. Yeah, yeah. and leaders are complicated. And the the you need a set of... Skills and abilities to build an institution. Those often involve somebody who is pretty driven and is it is focused and has a certain amount of charisma and wants to build a certain thing. And yeah. then there, there are a certain set of gifts for building a healthy, sustainable, long-term institution. Those two don't always overlap. And it seems like some of the some institutions get enough of both, right? They are able to both Implement the um, vision and drive and values of the founder and have enough of a team to build a sustainable, take that and make that into a larger. So the whole organization owns it and lives in a very, in a way that reflects what they. It's very difficult to build something. And when you build something, it's very difficult to, it gets built around the, often around the charismatic figure that led it. Yeah. So the good and the bad.
0: People are drawn to that.
1: The challenge is to build something that can outlast that and that channels that in an appropriate way and builds a healthy, sustainable place. And sometimes that's not an easy task.
0: But were you, were you surprised to get that response from Ramsey?
1: You never know what people are going to say. Yeah. I so, so I was a bit surprised by it. I was more, I was surprised because they're, they're so good. They were,
0: there was a lot of really personal cutting things they said. Did how did that impact?
1: When I will cover the mosque in Murfreesboro, yeah, it was much worse. I mean, okay. I had somebody who said we should trade Bob and some other reporters to the Taliban <laughs> for some other. folks. And we had physical threats. I had one. The only time I've been physically threatened was at a church covering the anti-Muslim movement. This was more just the, the you know, as a reporter, you just don't take these things personally. Yeah, because people are mad about them. I, I just was, I felt badly. I think badly for the organization that this was the path they choose.
0: Yeah. Because like you said, you know that there are a lot of, this was not their best, but the fact that they had actually put that out publicly to so many people, you know, helped make that decision that like they, and we asked them, this is really what they're saying. It also gave you more access, like inviting you in and you got to see more of the good.
1: Yeah. I got to see more of the organization and people were very gracious and it did almost everything in the letter they sent reflects the kind of culture which we had said existed had become problematic so it was a kind of confirmation you don't often get that every organization makes choices and yeah. but yeah no there was no personal side of it I in giving out where I live people knew where I live so it's not like I was gonna be
0: yeah. you didn't feel like being doxxed, no, that, no, that you were no, in danger no. or I'm a
1: white man I'm older I, I am not a very vulnerable in a very vulnerable position yeah other people would feel differently. And I have no relationship with the organization where there's any personal capital involved.
0: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bob. Hearing the thought behind the stories he writes or doesn't write has encouraged me. We kept talking in a segment I'm sharing with my membership community. He asked me about what I've been learning and about what our church journey has looked like recently and he shares about an organization he reported on that had a happy ending. That segment is available on Patreon. I'd love for you to join our Patreon community. This community makes this podcast possible, and in return, they get some extra perks. If you're interested, visit UntangledFaithPodcast.com slash member. And if you enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you would share it with a friend, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. This makes it easier for others to find us. Here's a teaser of that bonus conversation with Bob.
1: What are you learning in this podcast?
0: What am I? I I learned in like polling some of these people that of the people that did my survey, half of the people that are listening don't have a church home right now.